Our reading this evening is from the second book of Kings, chapter 6, verses 1 to 23, and that's on page 373 in the Pew Bibles. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let's go to the Jordan, where each of us can get a pole, and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, Go. Then one of them said, Won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting a tree, the iron axe head fell down into the water. Oh no, my lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked out the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel... The very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord. What shall we do? the servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord. Strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, This is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria when the king of Israel saw them he asked Elisha shall I kill them my father shall I kill them do not kill them he answered would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master so he prepared a great feast for them and after they had finished eating and drinking he sent them away And they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding 
Israel's territory. Thanks very much, uh, Martin. Let's uh, pray as we come to God's word. Father, we pray that same prayer that Elisha prayed for his servant. We pray that you would open our eyes so that we may see, that we may see the truth of your word, that we may see you in all your power, in all your love, in all your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember when I left um, university applying for various different uh, graduate uh, training programs. Um, uh, one of them, I think it was Reuters, um, uh, the interview process I went through, they gave me a task. And one of the tasks was to um, sift through a, a stack of papers, it was like an in-tray, and to put them in some sort of order of what I thought should be the priority. Um, it made me wonder, as I was looking this evening at this passage, if our view of God is sometimes a bit like that. A global CEO prioritizing the different requests in his entry. At the top are things like the, the war in Ukraine, the persecuted church, situation in Afghanistan, famine in Somalia, flooding in Pakistan. And somewhere at the bottom is um, your worry that you borrowed your neighbor's lawnmower and you've broken it. Well, the amazing thing about God, as we will see in our passage this evening, is that because he is all loving, he has the capacity to be concerned both about the global crises as well as our minor everyday needs. And because he's all powerful, he has the capacity to deal with all of them at the same time. And therefore, when it comes to prayer, we should feel able to bring him all of our needs, both large and small. God, as we read in the Psalms, is an ever-present help in trouble. Before we come on to the passage, so this evening, let's just remind ourselves of what we have been looking at in this series of two kings. Um, we've been focusing on the life of the prophet uh, Elisha, who has taken on the mantle from his predecessor, Elijah. He's ministering in the 9th century BC in the northern kingdom of Israel. Last week in chapter 5, we saw God show his grace through Elisha to a foreign army commander, Naaman, who was healed from leprosy and came to know the one true God. And it's an indication that God would ultimately show his grace to all nations. And what was particularly surprising was that this army commander was from a country called Aram, which you can find here on a map, roughly in modern-day Syria, up in this area up here. A country that was often at war with Israel, as we'll see this evening. But before we get on to that, let's first start with the, the incident of the first few verses, because here we see that God will be there to meet our everyday needs so we don't need to worry. It starts with a company of prophets saying to Elisha in verse 1, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let's go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole or a log and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, Go. Yep, good idea. Off you go. Enjoy. Then one of them said, well, won't you please come with your servants? 
We really value having you with us. Uh, If we have any problems, it will be great to have you there to help us. I will, Elisha replies. And he went with them. As simple as that. Didn't need much persuasion. There's no, let me think about this. Let me pray about this. No, he simply went with them. And so we're told they, they went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees in order to build their, their, their hut. And so far, so good. But have a look at verse 5. Because there it says, As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. Now it's easy to read this and think, well, it's only an axe head. What's the big deal? Just go to your local forge and get another one. But in those days, this, this would not have been a cheap tool. And the fact that he says it was borrowed would imply that he couldn't afford to buy one himself. Which also probably means he couldn't afford to, to pay back the owner. He would probably have to go into debt to, to do so. And certainly Elisha doesn't downplay the uh, the significance. He doesn't make any glib remarks. He sees the impact this loss has had on the man. So what does he do? He performs a miracle to get it back. He cuts a stick and he, he throws it into the river. And the iron axe head floats to the surface. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. In verse 7. Now, what level? That's an amazing miracle, isn't it? Um, according to the laws of nature, it's iron that sinks and it's wood that floats. But just as Jesus' miracles uh, went against the laws of nature, so here does Elisha's miracle done in the power of God. Because God has the power to reverse the laws of nature. He is, after all, the one who designed the laws in the first place. But okay, even if it's a pretty impressive miracle, so what? Does it really matter? Why why is it here in God's word? This story comes after the the healing we saw last week of the second most powerful man in the, the country of Aram. It comes before a story about Aram and Israel at war. Imagine if you were watching the news and the situation in Afghanistan came on. Then there was... Uh, a report on the situation in Ukraine and in between the two of them was the story about someone who lost an axe head you'd think so what? that's just really not important in the scale of things well the point here as I said earlier is that God is concerned about our everyday needs there is nothing too small for him no individual who is too insignificant for him Jesus taught his disciples to ask, didn't he? Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, give me the resources, the strength, the wisdom to do everything I need to do today. Well, okay, so God meets the need of this man on this occasion. Um, But what conclusion can we draw from this? How do we know this just wasn't a, maybe just a one-off? How do we know if God will meet our needs? Let's look at what God promises in his word in Matthew's gospel. There Jesus said, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is saying, make it your priority to seek his kingdom, to to live as one of his people in a way that pleases him, to grow in your faith, to become like him. And as you do so, you can rest assured that all the the everyday things you need, your your food, your clothing, your, your shelter, will be provided for you. It was this principle that enabled George Muller in the the 19th century to raise enough money to build five orphanages, to care for over 10,000 orphans during his lifetime. He never made an appeal. He never directly asked anyone for money. He just prayed and trusted that God would provide. And often it was at the last minute when the cupboards were completely bare. So what is it okay to ask God for then? Well, in 1 John 5, it says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Now, the key phrase there is according to his will. Uh, sometimes we, we may discern what God's will is before we, we ask. But often we won't know until we see the answer to our prayers. The assurance, though, is that we can leave it with God, that we can trust in the words of Psalm 84, that no good thing does he withhold from those whose way of life is blameless. God wants us to share uh, our daily needs and concerns with him. He doesn't want us to try and sort everything out in our own strength. If we don't go to him for help, we're just going to get increasingly burdened and stressed. And when we do go to him and leave it with him, we don't need to worry about how or when he will answer. Because we trust that he will answer in a way that is best for us. George Miller said, Trusting the Lord for the supply of my temporal needs keeps me from anxious thoughts like, will my salary last? Will I have enough for the next month? In this freedom, I am able to say, my Lord is not limited. He knows my present situation, and he can supply all I need. Rather than causing anxiety, living by faith in God alone keeps my heart in perfect peace. God will be there to meet our everyday needs so we don't need to worry. Well, in the next instant, we see that God will be there to keep us safe so we don't need to be afraid. Last week, we saw God show grace to the commander of the the army of Aram. But now, in verse 8, we're surprised to read the king of Aram was at war with Israel. Now, the chronology in these chapters is not very clear, so we're not sure exactly how these two incidents relate to each other time-wise. But as we said last week, Aram was a a powerful neighboring country. It wasn't a natural ally of Israel. And sometimes God would use them to punish Israel, to punish them for their disobedience. However, on this occasion, we soon see that God is not going to allow his people to be defeated. And he uses Elisha to protect them. Each time we we read the king of Aram comes up with a new military strategy, Elisha 
is given some sort of divine awareness of what he's going to do. As we tips off, the king of Israel. Verse 10 says, Time and again Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Now, not surprising, the king of Aram gets a, a pretty wound up by this. The fact that his enemy is always a step ahead of him. And the only conclusion that he can reach is that there must be a traitor in the camp. So he calls his officers together and he demands them to tell him, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? One of his officers, though, is quite astute. Um, Maybe he was with Naaman when he went to be healed. But he replies, he says, none of us, my lord, the king, but Elisha. The prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Now, if Elisha is the one responsible, then the logical response um, is that they need to take him out. And so the king orders them to go find out where he is so that I can send men and capture him. It doesn't occur to him that if uh, Elisha knows everything he says, then he's going to know about this latest plan as well. The report came back, he is in Dothan. And so the king, verse 14, sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. At this point, the focus switches to, to Elisha. And when he gets up the following morning, we're told that an army has surrounded the city. What his servant realizes, he responds in a way you'd expect. He says, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? Now notice it's exactly the same response as the prophet who loses his axe head. Oh no, my Lord, he exclaimed as well. He didn't say, what shall we do? But the implication was there. Well, going back to Dothan, Elisha once more responds in a, a very calm, a very controlled manner. And he replies to his servant, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, it seems a very strange thing to say when you and your servant are surrounded by a whole army. But the reason Elisha is not afraid is because he can see something that his servant can't. And to reassure his servant, he prays to God. He prays this prayer. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see and the Lord opened the servant's eyes he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha what are these these chariots of fire that the servant couldn't see well it's difficult to know exactly what they are Uh, one view is that they are driven by angels one of the roles that angels perform in the Bible is to protect God's people Psalm 34 says, the angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear him and delivers them. Others suggest that it could be a a visual representation of God's presence. After all, there are other places in the Bible where God uses a picture of fire to present himself. At the burning bush when he talked to Moses. The tongues of fire on the heads of Jesus' followers following uh, the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. The main purpose of the chariots of fire becoming visible is to relieve the fear of the servant. Elisha realized he was afraid 
That's why he prayed that God would open his eyes so that he would see. But whatever the chariots of fire were, uh, whether they were angels or God's presence or something else, what they showed was that God is more powerful than any human army. And therefore, we don't need to fear. So what should we take away from this story? Well, if the last story about the axe head was about God providing for our daily needs, this one is more about him keeping us safe. You might think, well, we're unlikely to be in a situation where we're surrounded by a, a foreign army. But imagine how the people of Ukraine felt when Russia had nearly 200,000 troops massing on their borders when they started attacking their country. Imagine the fear of those who went to war to protect their country. Imagine the fear of their families as they sent them off. Imagine the fear of those who fled their country. There will be lots of situations in life where we face fear. Think about the fear people felt when the the COVID pandemic gripped the whole world. Some people still live in fear of leaving their homes and catching COVID. It's caused others who live on their own to fear social situations. Possibility of a serious illness will always cause fear in many. Others will be afraid of money problems, losing their job particularly with a massive hike in fuel bills expected this winter. How do we respond to these situations? Well, again, by trusting in God's promises. Psalm 125 says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. Deuteronomy 31 says, Be strong, and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear that the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. Presumably the servant of Elisha would have known these promises, so why didn't he just remind his servant of them? Well, it's good to remind ourselves uh, and each other of God's promises in his word. It's also good to pray for one another that God would open our eyes to see him in all his glory and to have him remove our fear. It's right to pray for each other that we would not just know God's presence, but we would feel God's presence. We would feel his strength. We would experience his peace. If our situation of fear is caused by others who are hostile to God, maybe those who would mock our faith and other countries do something even more serious. Let's pray that the Lord would open our eyes to see that he is more. That as Elisha said to his servant, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. There was another situation which you 
may recall where Jesus had to remind his disciples that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Do you remember Jesus and his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane? They were outnumbered by a large crowd with swords and clubs. Peter drew his sword to, to put up a fight. But Jesus said this to him. He said, do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? God has greater power at his disposal. And it is a wonderful reassurance to us. But he doesn't always choose to use it. And that should be a great reassurance to us because it, it means he has a better plan. God's better plan for us in the Garden of Gethsemane was that his son would be arrested and killed on a cross. It was his plan for Jesus to give up his life for us, to take away our sin and to raise him to life, to defeat death and ensure eternal life for us. The worst thing that can happen to us in this life is death. But death is no longer a defeat. Because Jesus has achieved the victory over death. Going back to two kings. On this occasion, although God has all these chariots of fire at his disposal, he chooses not to use them. Instead, he resolves the situation without any loss of life. How does he do that? Well, have a look at verse 18. It says, as the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. And Elisha then has the audacity to actually speak to this army, knowing that he's the one they're after, and say to them in verse 19, this is not the road, this is not the city, follow me, and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, we read, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. Elisha has led them into a trap and there's no way out. Suddenly the tables are turned. The, the hunters have become the hunted. King of Israel can't believe his luck to have these enemy soldiers delivered into his hands. He's desperate to put them to death. But just as God has spared the lives of his people, so on this occasion, he spares the lives of these enemy soldiers. Not only does Elisha prevent the king of Israel from killing them, he even gets them to prepare a feast for them, after which they return to their own country and live at peace with Israel. The whole passage brings to mind, as we come to a conclusion, the well-known Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. We've already seen how the Lord will be there to meet our everyday needs. In the language of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing or I shall not want. We've seen how the Lord will be there to keep us safe, so we don't need to fear have a look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
And now we see that this promise that he will be there to keep us safe even extends to the situation where our enemies are present. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's no promise in this life that we will be spared from pain or suffering. And we will all day, or all one day die. But God God does promise us that because of the suffering of his son, on our behalf, if we put our trust in him, our souls are safe and we need not fear because we can rest in peace in his presence and enjoy his goodness and love forevermore. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage and the wonderful reassurance it is for us that you are with us. You are with us every hour, every minute, every second of every day. And that is a wonderful reassurance because we can bring to you our our daily concerns and worries. You know them, you understand them, and you want to deal with them. Father, we thank you for the, the exhortation of Jesus to seek first his kingdom. And we pray, Lord, as we do that, as we seek to live for him, then we can leave those everyday concerns with you. We don't need to stress, we don't need to worry, because you will look after them. And Father, we think of those situations of great fear. If we thank you again that you are there, you are in control of them, you have the power to deal with them. And you will deal with them in a way which is for our good because of your love for us. So Lord, help us to trust in that. Help us to not be afraid of what the future may hold, that your grace will be sufficient. And we thank you for that wonderful promise that we will be with you, that your goodness and love will follow us all the days of our life, that we will dwell in your house forever. We praise you for that. Amen.